I said we're gonna have a good day. Welcome to Rise with Emily and Audra. I'm Dr. Emily McRae. And I am Dr. Audra Rankin. We are educators, healthcare providers, and mothers who view the world as an unlimited learning opportunity. Rise is a podcast that highlights how we learn from the experiences and stories of others to create new perspectives that improve our own work. Listen with us, think with us, learn with us. And along the way, be inspired to rise up above your day-to-day. All right, this really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. This really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. Okay, shouldn't come as a surprise. Because every morning we will rise. All right. Well, welcome today. We're so excited to have Luke Hancock with us. Welcome, Luke. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. We are thrilled to have you here and to have the opportunity to learn from you today. So you have quite the impressive resume, but I'd like to ask you... I would trade with you, by the way. (laughs) I would trade with both of (laughs) them. But I'd like to ask you in your own words, to tell us a little bit about yourself and where are you from? Where did you go to school? Did you play any sports? This is a tough part. Just got to sit here and talk. Uh, Well, I'm from Roanoke, Virginia, originally. I'm from Southwest Virginia, born and raised. I didn't leave until I went to, went to school, went to Hargrave Military Academy. I grew up kind of playing every sport really except football. I tried to go play football one time when I was in high school because I was kind of tall. I was kind of athletic but I saw the football coach in like first period and he asked, you know, will you come out and run some routes and just come out on the football field? And we're not, you don't have to get hit if you don't want to. He made it really nice and easy. My intro into football. So I said, absolutely. I would love to do it. And uh, about halfway through the day, the basketball coach pulled me out of class and said, I heard you're going to football. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, all right, well, that, that closes football. But every other sport I dabbled in, played a lot of soccer growing up until freshman year in high school. And uh, I saw a guy named J.J. Reddick plays for my hometown. He went to Duke and um, I saw him play in a state tournament game. And, you know, he was athletic, but he just did it in such a way that I was like, that is what I want to be a part of. And the atmosphere was awesome. And so he kind of actually led me to really focus on basketball. And so I didn't pick it up as a main sport, I guess, until eighth grade, ninth grade. And then I kind of fell in love with the game quick. I went to Hargrave Military Academy after high school. Then I went to George Mason for two years. I played for Jim Laranega. He decided to go to Miami, which is now in the ACC, which helps with, with the job now, working with the network. But when he left, kind of opened up my recruitment. And uh, I decided I wanted, uh, I wanted to challenge myself. And uh, I looked at Louisville. I looked at a couple of different schools. Michigan and Virginia were on the list. But um, basically decided, you know, I, I want to challenge myself the most I possibly can. I want to play against the best competition as consistently as I possibly can. And so I looked at Louisville's schedule and saw, you know, they're playing number eight Syracuse on Monday. They're playing number 12 Georgetown on Thursday, Kentucky's number two, that's on Saturday. And then the next week, you know, you get in, you get a day off and go play UConn and they're 15th or something like that. So that's really what, what drove me to look at Louisville, had a coach that was at my, my prep school go to Louisville as well as an assistant, Kevin Keats. And so that kind of pushed me this direction. You know, the business school was a big driver for me as well, but Rick Patino was the guy that kind of sealed the deal and, and made me feel like Louisville was home. And I have a brother that's lived here for a long time. 
Okay. And uh, my mom has actually moved here recently. So we've all kind of adopted this city and, and love Louisville. That's great. And then tell us a little bit about your career at Louisville yeah. in basketball. Well, so the I feel like an old man saying this now because you have the one-time transfers with the NCAA where you can play right away. I needed them to put that together about 10 years sooner so I wouldn't have to sit out a year. But I came to Louisville, and we, we had a great year, great season. Kyle Keurig was a guy I kind of looked at and said, I, I want to play like him in this system. But we went to the Final Four during my redshirt year, and it was an incredibly motivating experience to have to sit back and watch and not be able to travel and still put in all the work. Nobody sees how much, you know, the red shirt does because, you know, he's not out there on the court. He's not making shots, not missing shots, but you put in so much time and effort. And it's really a year to make sure you're, you're ready to go. I was dealing with an injury as well. So overcoming some obstacles during my red shirt year, but really thought we had a great team and went to the final four and we lost to, to Kentucky in the final four. They had Anthony Davis and company. And they, they were incredible, won the championship that year. But coming back that next year, I really thought we had the pieces to the puzzle. I've never really been the best player on any team I've ever played on. Some people kind of look at me sideways because we, we had a lot of success, but I just needed to, to be the glue. I needed to figure out how all these guys work best together. And then I could add a little something as a, as a veteran, as an old man in a leadership role. But that next year, you know, I, I thought we had all the pieces. We were deep. We had, we had at least two guys in every position and we had really high, high talent guys. So the next year we, we were able to win a national championship that summer. I got to play for team USA. It's an incredible experience. Came back senior year, really expecting to win another championship. And uh, we fell short, lost in the Sweet 16, again, to Kentucky. I know there's a lot of people listening to this podcast might enjoy that, but they did beat us up uh, in the Sweet 16 my senior year. But part of the winningest class in school history, two Final Fours, bunch of conference championships, and, you know, it certainly did go in a straight line. It wasn't just just all butterflies and rainbows. There were a bunch of challenges in between, but Louisville was great for me as a person and as a basketball player. Luke, you don't know this about me, but I grew up in North Carolina, so I'm your All right. neighbor and a big lover of the Tobacco Road rivalry, but I'm a Carolina fan, so I'm right. trying to not get thrown off by your inspiration being J.J. Reddick, but <laughs> I do love listening to all of your stories about college basketball, and I'm wondering how you communicated with an incredible team at UFL, so as a leader, how did you communicate your strategies or, you know, when things maybe weren't going your way, how did you kind of rally, rally your troops? Well, yeah, that's the tough part, I think, especially when you have ultra competitive situations, like you're, you're trying to win a national championship and you have egos and people that are really accomplished and they, they feel like they deserve a great opportunity. You've got to manage all these different personalities and egos and all those things. And so, I think number one, the thing I try to do was lead by example in terms of effort, because I'm not going to be the fastest. I'm not going to jump the highest. I'm not going to be the quickest, you know, but if I give max effort, every single thing that we do, then I can turn around to the guy next to me and, and, and say, hey, I'm over here killing myself every day. You need to be doing the same. And it doesn't matter if you're running, you know, a 4440 and I'm running a 4840. As long as you're giving max effort, I'm, I'm good with that. And you know, there's a funny story. Coach Patino used to tell this all the time, but I, I first got to Louisville and I'm a red shirt. So I'm not even going to play throughout this season. And, you know, I played for Jim Laranega, who was all about the little things and, and made sure we were very detail oriented. But we, we show up to a weight room. It's supposed to start at 545. 
And, you know, it's my first day. So I'm there at, at 520. You know, I'm there at 515, just making sure I'm not late. And uh, a couple of the upperclassmen, I think it was Kyle and maybe Gorgie. And, and Gorgie was a lottery pick in the NBA. I mean, big time player. They were like two, three, four minutes late. So no big deal. We were still stretching and kind of getting going. But I immediately kind of grabbed the team and I basically said, we want to win a national championship. And Jim Laranega started every practice with a, a principle from Stephen Covey's book about the seven principles of highly effective people. And the first one is begin with the end in mind. And so I kind of referenced that, but I said, we're going to take care of the little things from the beginning. And so Coach G, Coach Ganon, who's our strength coach, he's in here at, at five o'clock getting things ready for us. We're supposed to be ready to go at 545. We're not going to be ready at 550 anymore. We're going to be ready to go. We're going to be here early. We're going to respect the people that are trying to help us. And we're going to give max effort every time. And as a brand new guy coming in, these guys have had some success. They've won tournament games, but they looked at me and they didn't, you know, nobody hit me, nobody beat me up or anything. They, they kind of respected that from the jump. And again, I think following through with taking care of those little things and giving max effort, it was easy to get on the same page and say, Hey, you know, I'm not saying this because it makes me feel good. I'm not jumping on you because I get any reward for that, but I want to make sure as a unit that we're going to get our jobs done. And so I think you set the tone with things like that early and you approach things the right way. Communication is key. And, and that really transitions into the finance world that I'm in now. Working with Tuffy and Chris, one of the first things they talked about was we're going to communicate through every challenge, every issue. And we've had plenty in our years together, but ultimately we've said this over and over again, if there's even something that's bothering you a little bit, it's going to be so much easier to just talk this thing out to get on the same page and then to move forward. And again, we've had plenty of challenges through our years, but I think Tuffy really approached it with, we're going to communicate through all these issues. And I love that from my, my team background and just my experiences through sports. I love that. And I love the concept to begin with the end in mind. I think that's a great strategy for everyone to keep in mind. Did you ever have with the team or with your in your current role in business, ever have fights or disagree? And remember, I I know you know that I'm a Kentucky <laughs> fan, so not fighting with other teams, <laughs> but but a fight within the team as you're you know as you're leading them or out on the court in a game or conflict that like that. And how did you navigate through conflict? Well. You know, the sports realm is a little different than the, the business realm, certainly. You know, in, in basketball, you can start to get physical or you can talk a little trash. You can fire somebody up. But you, you have challenges every day. Somebody's not giving max effort. Somebody's slacking. Like, those are the things we just never accepted. And it was incredibly competitive every day. And that mindset kind of starts from the top, right? Rick Pitino was the one who made sure every single day we were going nonstop 100 miles an hour and we were doing everything at game speed and getting prepped and ready to go for when we did have to get out there and that's why I always thought it was kind of funny that people talked about the tournament atmosphere and how you get worn down and I always felt like that was like a vacation you know our practices were so intense and our preparation was so intense that when you got to all I have to do is play a 40-minute game like that's it I'm good I'll be fine no matter how hard we go for 40 minutes but I will say in the business realm, again, I, I go back to communication because I'm young in my business career. I joined a pretty established partnership that has been together for a long time, a team of four that had, had 
you know, decades of experience together. And the thing that I really liked was they were number one, they were hesitant to let me in, I guess, to the circle <laughs> because we did a, we did a year trial period and they made sure that the decision would have to be completely unanimous that every, everybody would have to be on page before I was a part of this team. And so now I'm another cog in the wheel here and it has to be all five of us to make big decisions about our team. And so just communicating the, those various issues and even to the point where, you know, in, in my young business career, there was other opportunities out there that were kind of floated around and, you know, I'm still growing and building my business. And so managing, do I go over here and try something different and maybe take a one step forward versus working with my team here? And really, you know, I can be 10 steps ahead if I stay on this path. And I attribute that to, to our team, the confidence we have in each other and really just the vision for how we wanted to build it. And whenever there were those little challenges, you have to find ways to overcome them. But to me, it goes back to communication and what's your real goal here and what are you trying to accomplish within that organization? I think if you keep that as your center focus, it makes all these small challenges. As long as you keep them small and you don't let things fester and blow up, I think that it just helps you out so much. Luke, you talk so much about communication, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about your role as an announcer and communicating to a much broader audience. So can you tell us a little bit about your communication strategy when you're talking on a national scale about sports? Well, it's been a learning process, to say the least. So the first time I was in front of the mic on radio, I remember the feeling so well, just my heart's beating, and I do a three-hour radio show each day. So when you first sit in there, you're just, you're nervous and, you know, sweaty hands and your heart's beating fast and you're, you're trying not to talk too much or too little. All these things are going through your head. I think the first thing that really helped me out was eventually feeling just confident to kind of relax a little bit. And then it was all stuff I was passionate about. It was all stuff I was interested in. And I think as you're kind of building in whatever career you're doing, the more confidence you get from your preparation, the easier it is to communicate. And so for me, when I'm doing the ACC network stuff, it's really two teams. And it's teams that I've seen year after year. Most of the time, I know I'm talking to a Carolina fan and Roy Williams just retired, but <laughs> most of the time these coaches have been there and they've hung around. So, you know, styles and, you know, personalities. And so I think preparation is, is where confidence comes from in terms of what you're trying to communicate. And then the more you do it, the more you practice it and get out of your comfort zone. I think those are the things that make you better. Even that first example about being in the weight room early, you know, I remember that feeling well also because I'm brand new and I've got to tell these guys that are going to be NBA players and make a lot of money playing basketball. Hey, we're not going to be late again. And they're older than me, they're upperclassmen, but they looked at me and they, they kind of gave me the head nod like, all right. And I didn't approach it in a, in a I'm going to beat you up if you're not here on time kind of thing. <laughs> it was, it was, hey, you know, we're, we're, we've got a goal and let's go out there and accomplish that. And, and again, keeping that as a center focus, I think it helps me in terms of communicating either strategy or what we're trying to talk about with the studio shows when they kick it back to halftime. You have to be able to talk about what happened in that first half, what's going to happen in the second half, and then whatever else is going on in the league. So you've got all these moving pieces, but the preparation and kind of knowing what you're talking about, it helped me with confidence at least. Do you think, Luke, that your communication strategies in the business world and in the announcing and or sports world are similar. It sounds like base those that growth on the discipline and preparation, as you just right. mentioned, but 
do you feel that those scenarios are similar or that you have to adjust to the, I imagine you have to adjust to the audience some? I think so. You know, I played for two Italian New Yorkers in terms of Jim Laranega <laughs> and Rick Pitino. And uh, they're high energy, they're yellers, they're basketball coaches, and they want to get their point across with very different people. And I, I think that my experience working with these two very different, but at the same time, pretty similar guys, that helped me so much because communication styles are totally different. And a lot of times, especially in a very stressful, intense environment, you kind of have to hear the message, not how the message is said in, in sports. And you can't really get quite as fired up in the business world and <laughs> finance. It is different. And I like the way you put that about tailoring it to your audience, because you have to kind of know your situation. You have to know our emotions flying, what's on the line here? How big is this going to be, this issue? Is this something that we're so worried about today? And in two weeks, we're not going to care about? Or is this something that if we don't address, it's going to be a huge issue in a year or two years or whenever it is? So I, I think, again, I'm being cheesy here, but going back to the communication thing, it's it just tailoring it to your situation and to your audience, I think is super important. And knowing kind of when you got to be hard and when people need pick-me-ups as well. In sports and in business, you know, I think you get a lot of constant affirmation in sports. And I think people miss that at times in business settings or in academic settings. You know, you get a grade back, but nobody's telling you, hey, great job. You, you, you beat the class average or you accomplish something and you, you get paperwork done or you get that sale done. A lot of times people aren't coming to pat you on the back. So I, I do think that's the tougher aspect um, getting away from sports because on the basketball court, every time somebody makes a shot or a good pass, I go high five, chest bump, you know, just get, get fired up. <laughs> that's you know, right. that's right. you can have that energy, but I do think that's an interesting point. It's a little tougher in different uh, avenues, different arenas. One of the things that you mentioned that stuck with me is, you know, when you're in the workout room at 5 a.m., the ultimate goal is to win a game or maybe in your business life, one of the ultimate goals is to be successful in your finance strategies. Can you tell us about a time that maybe you failed or, or didn't do as well as, as you hoped? And what did you learn from that? And where did you go from that failure? I love talking about my failures. You know, I got to UofL. They, they had this thing when I was playing and they would, they would do this chant when I made a shot and they would look and they would just draw it out like that. Well, when I started at UofL, Coach Patino had hyped me up that I was going to be this great offensive player. And people had seen me in red-white scrimmages where I played well, but they, they hadn't seen me as a full-blown, like, he's not a redshirt anymore. He's a junior. Now he's ready to go. So my, my first, I don't know, 30 shots or so at Louisville, I'm like three for 30 from three, which is terrible. <laughs> and all those loops that, that people did throughout my career at the very beginning, they were all booze. They were loud booze. And it was very tough for me to go out in the Yum Center and feel confident shooting the basketball. Number one, I was coming off a shoulder injury where I could go in the gym and shoot 500 shots and be loose for 495 of them because you're doing them one after another. But when I got in the game, you know, you might shoot 10 shots in a two hour game plus. And so every shot felt different there. One would pull, one would feel all right. Every shot felt different. And so I really struggled early on and I do sports talk radio now, but I tried to stay as far away from it as possible at that point because Louisville fans are passionate. There's no pro teams. It's a big venue. And so I was getting killed by everybody. Why is this guy on the court? Time to move on. What a miss. 
you know, Rick's lost it kind of conversations. And it's funny to think back on now, but it, I was really struggling with my start at UofL and the people around me, number one, that saw I'm going as hard as I can every single day. There's no denying the effort that I was going to put in. Again, I'm not the best player on the team. We had all Americans left and right, and I have no problem being the sixth or seventh best player on the team. I'm going to help out wherever I can, but I needed coaches and I needed teammates that had seen the work that I put in, kind of lift me up in that moment and believe in me. And even though I was a captain, all those teammates that you'll be fine. You're going to get it. We know the type of shooter, the type of player, all those things. It really helped me through that time. And, you know, for me to be there and kind of lift those guys up in that leadership role and to be named captain, I felt great about, but I really needed that team from coaches down to help me through that, that really tough time to start. You've mentioned multiple times, maybe not being the best player, but you sound like an incredibly humble leader. So I think that's a, that's a great quality to have. This is one of my favorite questions. What keeps you busy outside of work? Ooh, a lot. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I do have the ESPN jobs. I, I do the ESPNU radio on campus for Louisville and then the ACC network stuff with ESPN. And then I do, uh, I have the finance job called the real job with Chris <laughs> and Tuffy. And then outside of that, I do try and give back as much as I can. So I've, I've done a lot with feet families for effective autism treatment over the years Dreams with Wings. I've done quite a few of the, the boards and, and I'm on the president's council now at UofL, the Metro Police Foundation board, and just try and help people that I think need it and causes that I think need it. But also I'm a, I'm a sports junkie. I can't quite move the way I used to right now, but I still play a little <laughs> bit of old man basketball. I love to play golf. And it's, it's interesting to think about like how competitive I was in basketball and now to go play golf, I'm still competitive and I want to get better. But if I'm out there hitting golf balls on the range or I'm playing around, it's tough to have a bad day. I don't play very often when it's cold or raining. So it's usually people you enjoy and go out and have fun. But uh, my wife and, and my two dogs keep me busy as well. And so life is, is happening quick. A lot keeps me busy to say the least. That's great. So it sounds like we can be looking for you on the PGA Tour coming. <laughs> You'll be you know, training. And told, it's hard I'll, to give up that competitiveness. Oh, it is. And I've told my wife, I'm trying to convince her over and over again that I just need to stop doing other jobs and focus on the PGA Tour. <laughs> it hasn't happened just yet, but I'm still working on it. Thank you. I'm going to need it. We'll be your number one fan. I like it. Lou, we like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. So um, just whatever comes off the top of your head. Can you tell us your favorite leadership quote or book? I'll tell you two of them. The first one, I'm not exactly sure who the original is because I think it's been quoted so many times, but this one is, is so finance related to me. And it's one of the first ones that I heard where I, I really gravitated towards it. And it was, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And I just felt like when you're trying to learn this business or when, especially in the field you guys are in, you can't really know everything about everything. You've got to have support all around you and different resources. And I think in the medical field, it's, it's almost an even better example. But 
people want to know that you're going to take care of them. They want to trust that you're doing what's in their best interest. They want a certain level of knowledge, of course, more so in your field, I would think, but they want to know how much you care, how much effort you're going to put into taking care of them. And I love building relationships with people. I love meeting people. So that that was one. And, and right along those lines, Zig Ziglar's quote about you can have everything you want in life if you just help enough people get what they want. And I think that's perfect for finance as well. You know, we all want to be successful, but if you just take care of enough people the right way, you're going to be great in life, in my opinion. Just help as many as many people as you can. I think both of those are phenomenal examples. All right, question, rapid fire question two. <laughs> what is one thing on your wish list related to healthcare? What a tough one. I, I was thinking about <laughs> some of these questions and that that one I, I thought about for a while related to healthcare. So I don't know if it's if it's a personal thing, like running a triathlon or something like that, because I have no interest. I swim to stay alive <laughs> and I ran enough in college. I like to lift weights and stay in shape, but nothing along those lines as, as a healthcare wish. Uh, for me, it would, it would be more, I was thinking broader, like cancer has been a big part of my life. My father passed away in 2013. My mother-in-law's going through it right now. And so it would definitely be attacking cancer. You know, we, the, the resources, the effort that the world put in to knock out, I, I put that in air quotes and so nobody can see, but the, the effort with the coronavirus, I thought it was incredible all the resources that got pulled together. Absolutely. And I want to see that happen with cancer. I want to see us continue treatments that push us in the right direction. I don't know if we'll ever just be able to say it's completely gone, but I want people to have a real chance, even when they get that bad news. I mean, cancer has just been a big part of my life. And so that's where I immediately gravitated with that question. That's where I gravitate as well. So I love hearing that. Um, our last question is about learning. So Emily and I both believe in the value of lifelong learning. And we want to know if you could learn anything new, what it would be. Well, again, these questions could go a lot of different ways, right? So initially, I thought, well, I'm going to learn how to cure cancer. That's an easy one. Follow up on that last one. But I love meeting people. I love experiencing different cultures and just people's different ways of doing things. I like to have an open mind in, in as many situations as possible. So I have, uh, like my buddy Gorgie speaks six different languages. So I think I would go with language and culture learning. And if I could just consistently keep it going, I would just learn language after language and just, it's cool. I, I can order a beer in, in Spanish, but I can't do very much else. <laughs> if you can just go places and have that full on conversation, and uh, I think that would be really unique, really cool. I like that a lot. Well, Luke, thank you so much for being here with us today. We really, really appreciate your time and have enjoyed I know we both have enjoyed getting to chat with you and, and learn more about you and learn from you for sure. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. Exciting to be a part of it. Thank you. What can we learn from a collegiate basketball captain turned broadcaster and financial advisor about healthcare? Although we can't agree on our basketball team allegiances, we can agree on leadership principles, both for personal growth and team development that can inform a variety of professions. You know, I think that one of the things I was most impressed with about Luke's description of his personal leadership journey was that he always sought out challenges that would lead to growth. When Luke was deciding where to transfer to school, he thought a lot about different variables, including the caliber of the basketball team, the business school, 
where he would find excellent mentors on the court and in the classroom. We live in a world, especially right now, where easy can seem better and faster. And what Luke emphasized was that when we feel challenged uh, and maybe take the harder and slower way, we can also experience the most growth. I actually didn't realize that Luke had to sit out his first year on the UofL basketball team. I can't imagine putting in all of that work and not getting all of the perks. None of the fans knew he worked as hard as anyone on the team, yet he always put in his max effort. Emily, I think that giving it your all, no matter the reward, is invaluable. Luke noted that later on in his career, when he served as captain of the basketball team, he was never the best player. He viewed his role as serving as the glue for the team. So maybe he wasn't the star player, but he had an important contribution to the team and was part of one of the most successful teams in the school's history. We all deal with people with egos, and during the interview, we learned that the management of personalities and probably a lot of budding professional athlete egos was very challenging. That's right, Audra. And how often do we see that in healthcare? We often see a variety of personalities and egos that have competing interests. So how do we take a group of individuals and turn them into a team? Such a hard question. And Luke had to enter into an environment that was intimidating and focus on the overarching goal of building a successful basketball team. And over and over again in the interview, he said that he led by example. He knew he wasn't going to be the fastest, but he was on time and he put in the work. And not only did he put in the work, he gave it his best and he expected others to do the same. In our conversation with Luke, he referenced the importance of highlighting the little things, such as respect and how as a team they were going to get the job done. As a team leader, whether you're a leader in basketball or in healthcare, it's important to model best practices and foster a culture of respect. Luke taught us the importance of reflecting on how your own role can influence the overall team's performance and also the need to evaluate how the overall team dynamics can influence outcomes. In his case, a national championship. Audra, I think another takeaway in team management was the importance of communication. Yes, communication is key. And Luke really drove home that point. You know, whether in basketball or finance, we learned that talking things out and having clearly defined goals truly matters. As healthcare providers and educators, we spend a lot of time thinking about how we can tailor our message to an audience. Having different communication styles is important, and being thoughtful on how our message reaches the patients that we serve, as well as the CEO of our health system, can be a challenge. But whether you are trying to win a national championship, safely deliver a baby, or run a vaccine clinic in the community, the overarching theme is the importance of clear communication. Absolutely. And I think that with any form of communication, Preparation helps with confidence. I don't know about you, Emily, but I still get really nervous when talking in front of a big group, and it's something that I have to do for a living. I feel the same way. And, you know, thinking about Luke, I can't imagine walking into a room and telling athletes who are older and going to be more successful than me that they couldn't be late for practice. I would need 
to prepare that message far in advance. (laughs) For Luke, knowing team goals in advance provided a framework for clear communication. In other words, what do we want and how do we prepare in advance to get there? I think that ultimately being prepared in our messaging helps us cultivate a culture of accountability and respect and highlights the values we want to see in our workplace. In healthcare, communication is vital to establish partnerships with patients, with families and community stakeholders. Relationships that are built on trust inform our ability to deliver high-quality care as a team. Luke mentioned a motto that resonates with him, and I think we can apply it to the context of patient care and even relationships within our team members. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I loved that, and I think that's such a powerful motto. You know, as healthcare providers, we spend a lot of time juggling patient histories or labs and testing or the cost of procedures. In any given moment, we are processing a lot of information. Yet at the end of the day, communicating our passion for the people that we serve rather than just the diagnosis is incredibly important. Audra, we learned so much from Luke's career, including how to deal with failure. Neither one of us are UofL basketball fans, but it sounded to me like Luke's first year was less than ideal. I couldn't agree more. And I think that I learned that the idea that even in failure and in healthcare, that may not mean losing a game, but rather experiencing a sentinel event, a financial loss in your organization, maybe statistically insignificant outcomes in your research. No matter what, it is important to always give your max effort and to learn. So what did we learn? Learn from failure. Learn from your team and with your team. Failure, whether it be experienced individually or collectively, can be invaluable. It can foster resilience, improve healthcare delivery, and strengthen leaders. Learn to be prepared. Learn to communicate clearly. Learn to value and respect the qualities that each one of your teammates brings to the table. Thank you for learning with us today. This isn't a podcast about healthcare. It's a podcast about how we can learn from the experiences of others to make healthcare better. Rise with Emily and Audra was produced with Resonate Recordings. The original song, Rise, was composed and performed by Alex Crum. This really shouldn't come as a surprise Knock us down a thousand times In the mornings we will rise This really shouldn't come as a surprise Knock us down a thousand times In the mornings we will rise Okay Shouldn't come as a surprise Cause every morning we will rise